Welcome one and all back to the Darkness Prevails podcast, the show where you get scared for free. Well, that's the goal anyway. Tonight, I've got stories about mysterious creatures seen in Colorado, disturbing stories from Boy and Girl Scouts, and more. I hope you have your Survival Against Monsters combat badge, because tonight is about to get creepy. Enjoy and be sure to send us your scary stories at darkstories.org. I'd love to narrate some stories about camping, hiking, rock climbing, and other outdoor activities. Also, be sure to follow my new show, Freaky Folklore, hosted by Carmen Carrion, if you want to hear everything about ancient, mythical, or modern monsters. We have episodes about Siren Head and the legend of the Teke Teke coming soon. Follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes, or go to eeriecast.com. Thanks. Now, let's begin. Terrifying Creature Encounter in the Woods From Henry L. My family and I are a big camping family. We go camping a lot during the summer. We usually camp at Van Buren State Park up in South Haven, Michigan, or sometimes at Pokagon State Park in Angola, Indiana. This time, we were camping at Van Buren. We had just got our campers set up. We had the rest of the day to do whatever we wanted until it got dark. My younger brother and I were believers in the paranormal, aliens, and Bigfoot. My dad believes in the paranormal, but not Bigfoot. Whenever we talk about it, my dad is always quick to say that Bigfoot isn't real. We decided to explore the woods on our bikes surrounding the park, which extended for about two to three miles in every direction. There was a trail that went into the woods, and my brother and I started riding on it. We were hoping to find something cool. We'd gotten about half a mile into the woods when I heard a faint knocking noise to my left, down on the base of the hill. I stopped, and so did my brother. I parked my bike and went to the edge of the hill and peered down. There I saw nothing. I shrugged it off, thinking it was a squirrel who dropped his acorn and it hit a branch on the way down. So we went deeper into the woods this time about a mile and a half in. I then heard the same noise. This time it was coming from my right. I parked my bike and looked down the hill that we were riding on. There, I saw this big, hairy creature. My mind immediately went to Bigfoot. I slipped, and a bunch of little rocks fell down and landed right on that creature. It ran off, but turned around about five seconds later, after it had begun to run. But I didn't wait around to see what that thing actually was. I hightailed it to my bike. I started to ride down the trail like I was in the Tour de France, my brother close behind me. I let him get in front of me, because if that creature were to catch up with us, I'd rather it get me, not my younger brother. Luckily, that didn't happen. We made it out of the woods safely. When we made it back to the campsite, 
My dad was sitting in his chair by the fire he just made. He asked us why we looked as if we'd seen a ghost. We told him the story, and when we finished, he just laughed, jokingly saying that we'd really found Bigfoot. I guess I had cut myself on my knee when I slipped, because I had a tiny cut there. I know some might say, oh, he's just making it up, but let me tell you, I know what I saw, and no one can tell me different. The last few days of the camping trip, my brother and I stayed out of those woods. When it was over, we packed up and left, but I'll never forget my experience there. Hellhound in the Suburbs From Dream I've got two dogs, a German Shepherd named Aku and a Labrador named Alistair. Alistair basically lived on the streets. One day he just came over to our house and stayed there, and it's been like that ever since. Alistair comes and goes as he pleases, so we don't know much about him, but he's a young and cute dog. Now onto the story. I was 12 years old when this happened. My dad always goes for a smoke before he goes to watch TV so he basically always can say if Alistair is outside or not. Alistair sleeps in a doghouse in our front yard when he's around. It was a typical night. My dad went outside for his smoke, and when he came back in, he said that Alistair was out there sleeping in his little doghouse. I slept well up until like 2am, when I was awakened to the sound of dogs squealing. This is normal because there are a lot of dogs and cats running around everywhere. But just as I was about to go back to sleep, I heard some squeals as if something was in pain. This was weird, because most of the dogs on our street are passive. So I was a bit mad at this dumb dog that was causing problems at two in the freaking morning. I decided to go outside, and in that way I could kill two birds with one stone by saving the hurt dog and getting myself back to sleep. Groggily, I threw my jacket on and went outside. Walking out there, I glanced over at the doghouse, and there lay Alistair, snoozing away happily. Aku slept on the porch, but on cold nights, we let them both in. The squealing was getting very loud, and the dogs in the street were going nuts. I went and opened the gate and looked out on the street. What I saw, I couldn't even understand. There was our neighbor's dog running for its life from something that seemed to come straight from hell. Some enormous black dog that looked similar to a Doberman, but it was far too big to be a normal one. And if that wasn't enough, it had jet black eyes. When it ran under a lamppost, I saw absolutely no whites in its eyes. They were only black. This thing was gaining on the poor dog, but just as it was about to catch it, I made a big mistake. I shouted at it. That seemed to make it mad. Now it stopped chasing that dog and was now staring at me with those jet black eyes. Then... It let out a deep growl. It sounded like a motorcycle starting. I then took off, 
running for my life. Take note, it was wintertime, and it had snowed overnight. Disaster struck just as I was getting into the yard. I slipped. That gave this demon enough time to pounce on me. It weighed as much as my two dogs combined. I thought it was over. But just as this thing was opening its mouth to bite my arm, I heard barking and two shots. When I looked to my right, I first saw my dogs burst out of the gate, beginning to maul this thing. Then I saw my neighbor and my dad coming out with rifles. I blacked out then. When I woke up, I was in my house with my mom, dad, and neighbor standing over me. I only suffered a cut on my chest, and after a visit to the vet, by some miracle my neighbor's dog survived, the one that had been attacked. All I assume is that was a hellhound in my neighborhood. A Haunting Past from D3 Move The story I'm about to present takes place in Poland, near the capital city of Warsaw. As you all know, Poland has seen some very dark times. Looking back at what happened in the past, there's no doubt why some buildings and land that have seen German and Soviet war crimes can be haunted to this day. Let's go back in time to the years between 1939 and 1945 to a place called Kompanowski Forest. Throughout the war and even after that, Polish partisans, teachers, and other members of Polish intelligence were executed in that forest. Now, why is that important? Because 40 years later, on one of the execution sites, a house would be built. Let's skip forward 40 years in time. My great-grandmother built herself a small wooden house among the trees. It was like a dream, birds chirping, sun shining through the trees. Well, now it's a good time to say that my great-grandmother was really sick. Parkinson's, to be exact. She took some really strong medicine, and as time has shown, this will be an explanation for my dad, his sister, and my grandpa as to why my granny would see and hear strange things. Every day, every single day, my great-grandma complained to my dad and his sister that, at night, Polish partisans were running around and banging on the walls. She also said she could see them running between the trees and even their pale faces peeking through the windows. Of course, they didn't believe her. As I mentioned before, they blamed it on her medicine. It kept going like this for a couple of years, but one day my great-granny reported something new. You see, my grandma was a really stylish person. Every day she would do her makeup and dress elegantly, even though she wouldn't go out anywhere. There was a day with a new paranormal appearance. She referred to him as Mr. Black. I have to admit it was quite a funny name for a shadow figure stalking you in the mirrors, because yes, she saw him only in the mirrors around the house. Again, this was dismissed by my dad, his sister, and my grandpa. Unfortunately, my great-grandma died, 
convinced that everyone saw her as a weirdo. In the early 2000s, the house stood empty for a couple of years. Then my dad decided that he would move in with his first wife. But before that, he had to renovate the place. And well, he couldn't finish his renovations. During that time, he had to sleep in a camper outside the house, because every minute in that home was a true horror. He felt as if somebody touched him all the time. He felt breathing on his neck, heard whispers, screams, and gunshots. But he told me that the worst part about this house was Granny's bedroom, where stood her dressing table with an oval mirror in the middle. That mirror. That god dang mirror. He always said. Every time he looked in it, he saw Mr. Black behind him, hanging from the ceiling. He never finished renovating and instead built a different house, which I am since living in to this day. After my dad told other family members about what was going on inside that house, some of them grew a lot of interest in it. Specifically, that was my uncle, his brother, and his dad. They proceeded to perform satanic rituals, which led to escalation of paranormal activity inside the house. My dad was a witness to one of their said meetings, and this is roughly what he told me. They sat in three people at the table, your uncle fully zoned out as his hands flew across the Ouija board. Your other uncle sat in the corner of the room, shaking from fear. Chandelier was swinging from right to left, tables shaking, footsteps all around them. Now to 2020. You could ask, why even bother going there? Well, I've always been keen on the paranormal, and I wanted to investigate my family's most haunted house that I know of. But I can tell you now, my foot will never, ever land inside that house ever again. It was the summer of 2020. We all know that Rona canceled a lot of our plans for holidays, and I was no exception. I was beginning to dig into the history of my family, and that's how I found out about the house after all. One day, I decided to go on a trip. The place was very close for me, so it would be a short trip. Soon, there I was after hearing all those stories standing before this creepy wooden house. When I laid eyes on it, it was dirty, windows broken, wood beginning to rot. In the back of my head, I thought that maybe all these stories weren't true, and I would have a normal afternoon, apart from an old wooden house in the middle of the forest. I stepped inside, and almost immediately I felt a heavy atmosphere. All I could hear, though, was silence. Dead. Silence. That was until I heard the floor creaking behind me. I turned around and laughed to myself. <laughs> you freaking paranoid. I calmed down again and went to my granny's bedroom. There it was. The old dressing table. I slowly stepped towards it, my heart beating like crazy. Then I looked into it. Furthermore, I was trying to prepare myself for what I might see. But when I looked in the mirror, there was nothing except for me and the room. I exhaled. Maybe the stories were indeed fake. 
but then I was distracted by the bedroom door slowly closing. I didn't feel any wind, but maybe I was just too paranoid. So I looked back into the mirror, and oh boy, I regret that decision very much. There he was, the infamous Mr. Black, hanging from the ceiling, no face, just a black figure. A figure that I felt was staring deep into my soul. I was petrified. I looked at this thing for what felt like hours. But then I ran, ran out of that accursed house as quickly as I could. After that event, I promised myself to never go back there. That house is still rotting among the trees, and I warn anyone who stumbles upon it in the north part of the Kampanowski Forest to never go inside. I used to be brave. From Medics My parents used to tell me that when I was younger, I was always the braver of the two children they had. As a kid, my older sibling would often be too scared to do certain physical activities, such as climbing trees. I, on the other hand, would have no issue in climbing a tree triple my size, probably because I'd yet to learn the concept of death. Now that I'm in my 20s, I've since learned the harsh truth of mortality, and this is how I learned it. Being eight years old, I was a pretty sheltered child growing up. The kind of sheltered to the point where I couldn't sleep over at a friend's house for whatever reason. Safe to say, I was very naive to what the world had to offer. Both the good and the bad. I was always told that I should never be afraid of the monsters I see in movies. Because the only monsters in the world are people, as they say. I could never really understand what this meant until one day I was home with my older sibling. They were upstairs in their room, while I was downstairs watching TV. It's important to note that both my front and back door of the house I lived in at the time had large windows on them, allowing anyone on the outside to get a rough idea if someone was inside. The back door was almost completely windowed, giving a nearly perfect view into the living room. While watching some cartoons, the doorbell rang. I first chose to ignore it, but after a few seconds, there was a loud knock on the door. Whoever was knocking wanted to be heard, and in my young mind, I believed that it could be my parents, and if I didn't open the door soon enough, I would be in massive trouble. So I got up from the couch and made my way to the door. After unlocking the first lock, my older sibling ran down the stairs and yanked me away from the door. Through a whispered tone, they scolded me for trying to open a door to a stranger. I was too young to understand the danger, but my sibling understood. They told me to go back and watch TV while they dealt with this stranger. When I walked back, I heard my sibling lock the door completely, refusing to open it. From what I saw, whoever knocked on the door was still standing at it. There was another loud knock but my sibling backed away from the door. We watched as the stranger walked away from the front door and my sibling scolded me again for nearly opening it. After they went back upstairs, 
I continued to watch TV in a slightly sour mood from being shouted at. About half an hour would pass before there was another knock at the door. I got up to peek at the window by the front door to find no one. When I turned to return to the living room, I felt a sharp shiver down my spine as I saw a man standing right in front of the back door window, staring in at me. Whoever this man was, he had hopped over the fence of my yard to get there. I was terrified. It scared me the most that I knew he could see me. There was nothing obstructing his view of me, and I knew that if he wanted to, he could break that glass and get to me. I couldn't scream. I couldn't look away as the man and I locked eyes. And then he began to try the doorknob. When the door fell into open, he reached his hand to point to the lock. I couldn't believe it. This man was asking me to unlock the door for him. I shook my head and began to pull my phone out of my pocket. I assumed that the sight of me bringing the phone to my ear would spook him. The strange man quickly took off running and hopped the fence into our driveway. I saw his shoes as he ran down the road at a quick pace. I don't know what kind of stupid child mind I had, but I thought that if I told my parents what happened, that I would get into trouble for something. As a result, I had never told them about this, and no authorities had been notified. Sometimes I wish I'd said something. Maybe it would have made me feel less guilty. What if the man went on to hurt someone else? It keeps me up some nights, and I worry that because of my fear of my parents, someone else was hurt. From then on, everything about strangers made me nervous. I became very paranoid and untrusting of others. I used to be brave. Now, I'm not. Dark Figures in Our House From Trace M This strange experience happened when I was 13. It happened to my oldest brother, David, too, and my only sister, who is older than me, Hope. The layout of our house is where the kitchen is behind the family room or living room, and the whole house is open, so there are no walls in this area. The fireplace is to the right of the family room or living room. Now we had just had a surprise party for David's 20th birthday, so we had two balloons, one which had the number 2 on it and the other which had the number 0 on it. These balloons were over at the fireplace. I was in the kitchen filling up my water cup. At one point I looked down to see if my water was almost done filling. Then I looked back up and I saw this figure. A tall, pitch-black figure with disturbing fingers that were at least one to two feet long. Its arms were around four to five feet long, and his body was as tall as the fireplace, which is nearly ten feet. The reason I mentioned the birthday and the balloons was because the gold number two balloon was moving up and down, because this thing was pulling the string with its long fingers almost like he was playing with a reverse yo-yo. I ran upstairs to my bedroom to pray. I got David, Charles, and Isaiah to pray with me. Just before we started, the dogs all began barking like crazy, 
and the door to our room was shut. So David and Hope got up to go see if someone was home. But no. When they went to check it out, they saw black figures running up the stairs. David's dog Tesla was barking as loud as possible. Sounded like an air raid siren. David and Hope ran back into the bedroom. We prayed and settled down after a while, eventually going to bed, none of us leaving the room except Hope. Hope had a room of her own, connected to the office which was connected to our room. Hope didn't have to go through the balcony, which is where they saw those black things running up the stairs. David, Hope, and my uncle Tracy were searching the whole property with loaded guns and us little boys locked in our room. Now on to a different occurrence. We get home one day after getting some pizza. We sat inside to eat because at the time David would not let us eat in the car. Now we were enjoying our pizza when we hear the front door open. I know it was locked because the door is slightly broken and won't shut all the way so we have to keep it locked. We all heard it but assumed it was probably a draft. So we get done eating and me and the other boys start heading upstairs when all of a sudden Hope and David both in unison say, What in the world? They both heard laughter coming from the airlock, which is where the front door is, as well as to the left of the family room or living room. So now I'm officially creeped out. On another occasion, David and Hope walked out to the garage door to turn off the lights. When they got to the door, they heard a laugh again and saw a shadow on the concrete darting under the dually, a Ford F-350 with dual tires. So they turn off the lights and lock the door. Then they go into my dad's bedroom, load the 12-gauge shotgun. David takes that gun and hands the pistol off to Hope. They call my uncle and he comes over. He lives on the west side of the property. He likes his guns and has a lot of them, so he brings one over. Me and the other little boys were locked in our room, against our own will, sort of. Or should I say, for our own good. After about 30 minutes of searching the property, they all came back, finding nothing. After praying, we went to bed. The Stalker in the Shadows From Panda House I'm not the greatest at writing or storytelling, but I'll try my best. This happened several years ago. I think I was 17. I used to live on a large farm in the middle of nowhere. The nearest town was about half an hour's drive away. Our farm was surrounded by miles of dense forests. If you were to walk into those trees, the world around you would slowly disappear and the darkness would take over, swallowing you whole. When I was much younger, my dad would tell me stories about local kids that had gone into the forests alone at night. He would say that the kids were never found. I think at the time he was trying to scare me into exploring the woods alone. Now on our farm, I was in charge of all the smaller chores like feeding the animals, fixing things around the property, and a few other things I can't recall. My parents never did chores around the property on the weekdays. They were both out working in town. 
so during the weekdays I was in charge of looking after the farm. Side note, this isn't important to the story, but you may be wondering about my schooling. I did school on weeknights and weekends. Anyway, one night both of my parents were working double shifts, so I had the whole house to myself for the night. I was so excited that I'd have the whole night to myself, I forgot my responsibilities to the farm. At around 10 that night, I remembered that I had to feed the horses, so I put on my heavy coat, because the temperature had cooled down fast and headed out to the horses. Now, horses are very sensitive creatures. They can sense if you're near or who's near if they know you. They're also very good at reading emotion when you're worked up or calm. They'll get worked up with you, or be just as calm. So I was a bit concerned when I saw them freaking out in their pen. Normally, when I'm near, even when they're freaking out, they calm down a bit, knowing that I'm there. But not tonight. They were so upset that not even food did the trick. And my horses are the biggest gluttons ever. Usually. Since I couldn't get them to calm down, I decided to do a walk around the pen to see if I could find what's upsetting them. I found nothing unusual around the pen or in the barn. As I was exiting the barn and closing the big door, I turned around and I spotted it. This black creature standing in front of me. I was so scared I couldn't move. It felt as if my entire body was paralyzed. This creature was a big black nothing. It had no facial features other than two black pits where eyes should have been. It was tall and slender with two large hands with razor-sharp talons. The two of us stood there, not moving a single muscle. But then something happened. That creature spoke to me in a dark, almost non-understandable voice. But I know what it said. Run now. I did as instructed. I ran. I ran as hard as I could all the way back to the house. When I got back inside, I locked every door and hid in my closet with a knife in my hand. I didn't sleep that night. My parents came home later in the morning around noon, I think. It doesn't matter because when they walked in, I gave them the biggest hug I'd ever given them. I've only ever seen that thing again one more time. I was walking up the stairs to my house and I saw it at the end of the driveway when I turned back to lock my car. After a few more years at the farm, I moved far away for college and I swore that I would never step foot on that property or town again. This episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. What a beautiful night. Cool air, quiet forest, full moon, what could go? Of course, a werewolf would show up to eat me on my day off. Mm, what a hefty meal it will be. You can talk? Then surely you'd understand that you'd be far better off eating some HelloFresh instead of me. What is HelloFresh? HelloFresh is a food kit delivery service. They select the freshest ingredients and send them right to your door, or cave, 
so you can enjoy a delicious home-cooked meal in 30 minutes or less. No trips to the grocery store required or forest. Hmm. Entering a store like this might upset some people. Exactly, and you can customize your orders every week. Choose between low-calorie, carb-smart, vegetarian, and pescatarian recipes, each of which is packed with fresh produce sourced directly from farmers. Oh, now I feel bad about eating that local tomato farmer. Is HelloFresh really tastier than a nighttime jogger? <laughs> Absolutely, I've tried HelloFresh myself and loved it. My wife and I love not having to go shopping and being able to cook a meal together, and the recipe came out scrumptious. I'm a big fan of the flautas. Flautas? Now you're talking. Really? I mean, you can get started with HelloFresh right now. Just go to hellofresh.com DPP10 and use code DPP10 for 10 free meals, including shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash DPP10 and code DPP10 for 10 free meals, including shipping. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit for a very good reason. You got lucky this time, human. Oh, <laughs> thanks, HelloFresh. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something in the way of you being happy? We all deserve a fair chance at happiness. I know at times for me, I struggle to find motivation and energy just to enjoy the things I love. It doesn't have to be that way. Luckily, BetterHelp is here to lend a healing hand. BetterHelp is an online platform that makes getting help safe, quick, and easy. You can get connected to professional counseling in under 24 hours in a secure, private, online environment. You're free to send a message to your counselor anytime you need, with timely and thoughtful responses sent back to you. You can even schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Leave awkward waiting rooms behind. BetterHelp is even more affordable than offline counseling. Financial aid is also available. BetterHelp is available worldwide with professional counselors specializing in depression, grief, anxiety, sleeping, trauma, LGBT matters, and much more. So, you don't have to do this alone, and help is closer than it's ever been. Professional, convenient, affordable, confidential, BetterHelp is ready to help you. I want you to start living a happier life today as a listener. You'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com DPP. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com DPP. Thanks, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this episode. What waits in Carlsbad Caverns? From one I'm scared one. I've gone on tons of Boy Scout camping trips in my time as a scout, but this may have been by far the scariest. Our troop decided to take a trip to Carlsbad to camp out and visit the famous caverns near our campsite. One of the kids in my troop, named Kyle, was excited to visit Carlsbad because his uncle lived in the area 
and he was coming to visit our troop on the last day of camping. We drove up on Friday night and set up camp. The next day, we would go down to visit the caverns. You see, all of troop camping trips begin with us driving up on Friday, doing stuff in the area on Saturday, and then driving home on Sunday. So on Saturday, we all woke up excited for an adventure in the caverns. We woke up early and hiked out to the caverns. Once we arrived at the visitor center, me, Kyle, and a few other boys entered an elevator to be lowered into the caverns. Inside of the elevator, I heard laughter, specifically the laughter of a little girl. Confused, I started looking around, but there were only guys in the elevator. I looked over to see Kyle looking around. I thought nothing of it, but now it occurs to me that he had heard it too. Other than that, the other guys didn't look phased, so I decided that I'd heard something else and quickly moved on. We got into the caverns, and they were honestly really cool. Well, they were cool until we got into the large chamber, at least. We entered the large chamber, and Kyle and I were hanging behind. Suddenly, I began hearing the laughter again. But as I said before, this was an all-boys trip. I was scared at this point, so I asked Kyle, Hey man, do you hear that? The laughter? He asked. Yeah, I hear it. It's creeping me out. Alright everyone, I'm going to turn out the lights for no longer than 30 seconds, because this young man asked. We both focused our attention on the kid that had suggested the idea, and glared. He seemed confused, so he ducked away. We saw the lady walk away, and then seconds later, the lights shut off. It was dark in that cavern. I felt a sinking feeling in my stomach. I knew something was wrong. Suddenly, cold ran over me. I felt a tug on my shirt. Kyle, is that you? I asked. Yeah, he replied. Why are you grabbing me? I asked, confused. Look, he muttered. I looked over in the darkness, expecting to see nothing. But that's not at all what I saw. It was a little girl. The only problem was, she was disfigured. Her body looked like it had been smashed in. On top of that, she was glowing and floating. She began laughing suddenly, and it was the same laugh that had been torturing me this entire time. And then she spoke. He's going to die. She sang, looking at Kyle. He's going to die. She sang again, almost taunting him. Finally, one last time she sang while screaming as loud as she could. He's going to die! Then the lights flicked back on and she was gone. Kyle and I did not speak for the rest of the tour. Though at the end of the tour, the lady started mentioning ghosts in the caverns. 
One ghost that caught my attention was the ghost of a little girl who died in a car crash and haunts the region. I started wondering if this was the girl we saw. I got back to camp late, and needless to say, I didn't sleep that night. The next morning, Kyle's tent buddy walked up to me and asked if I'd seen Kyle. I replied with a no. He told me that when he woke up this morning, all the stuff in Kyle's tent was gone. I told him that I'd noticed that Kyle's dad's car was missing from the campsite. Kyle's dad was an assistant scoutmaster at the time. We brought it up to a scoutmaster, and he told us that Kyle left last night for a personal reason. I shrugged it off, and we drove back that day. On the way back, we drove by a casino. There were cop cars and ambulances surrounding it, and I noticed a badly crashed car being dismantled. And then, two faces caught my eye. They belonged to Kyle and his father. They were kneeling down and crying beside what looked to be a corpse with a white sheet over it. Then I put two and two together. That corpse belonged to Kyle's uncle. He had died in a car crash in the night when he was coming to visit Kyle. One thing about this story confuses me, though. Did the girl come to warn Kyle that his uncle would die? Or did she kill him? The Creature in the Meadow From Lady Vader 23 When I was a teenager, I spent every summer at a girls' camp. For a number of those years, the organization I went with picked this campsite that was infested with critters. My dad was a scoutmaster, so I've done enough camping to know that I normally didn't encounter as many critters as I did at this place, and every year I always came away with an interesting encounter story to tell my friends and family. During my junior year, our assigned group was given a campground on the very far end of the massive campground. It made getting to and from the mess hall really annoying, especially in the morning, when we had to be up and at breakfast at 7am. Every day as we walked up the grassy path to the mess hall, huge swarms of grasshoppers would flee ahead of our footsteps. I was pretty sure there were snakes in the grass too, since we'd found snakes in the area before so I was always telling the other girls with me to watch their step. The day before our particular encounter, we had an activity out in this big meadow at the very front of the camp. It was the only time we'd ever used that meadow, and being the curious person I was, and still am, I spent my time paying less attention to whatever we were doing, and more on my surroundings. The field had long, tall grass, up to my waist in some areas, and it was completely surrounded by woods and unused campgrounds. There were no human fixtures set up in the field, so no lighting, no sound systems, nothing. Later that night, while we were sitting at the campground, enjoying the fire, one of our camp counselors approached me and a few other older girls. 
Hey, Melissa needs to take her nightly medication. Can you take her up to the nurse's office to get it? Melissa was one of the first years, and it was camp policy that we not go up to the nurse's office alone at night. This was because it was up by the mess hall, which was by the beginning of the entire camp, and there was no one else in that area at night except the on-duty nurse. Therefore, it gets extremely dark up there at night. Yeah, sure, no problem, I said, grabbing my flashlight. I asked Jessica, one of the other girls my age, to come with us, and all three of us went. We headed up the road, heading towards the grassy path that would take us directly up to the nurse's station. On the way, we passed multiple campgrounds full of other people. With the light of fires, pavilions, and our flashlights, it was well lit most of the way. But by the time we got to the grassy path that would take us to where we needed to go, it was pitch dark again. We stopped at the foot of the path, shining our lights in the tall grass. You know, this path kind of looks creepy at night, Melissa pointed out, coming closer to my side as though I could somehow protect her. I remembered all the creepy animals I'd seen in the grass that surrounded the path, and I did not like the idea of stepping on something and getting attacked. After all, I'd had enough animal experiences at this campground to be worried. So I replied, Yeah, there might be an animal or something in that grass. I'd rather not get bitten tonight. Maybe we should just follow the road. The road was definitely the long way around. There were no other campers camping next to the road, so it would be pretty dark. But at least the path would be clear for us to see anything in our flashlights. At least, that was my reasoning. And perhaps it was because I was older. Perhaps it was because I had camping experience. Or perhaps I just sounded like I knew what I was doing. But Melissa and Jessica both agreed to my plan. I wish they hadn't listened to me. We didn't know it yet, but I had made an incredibly stupid mistake. We headed down the path. At first, it wasn't too bad. We could still hear people behind us talking and laughing and singing camp songs. But the longer we walked, the darker it became. Even the light from our flashlights seemed to grow dim as if the night were trying to swallow it up. It was as we grew closer to the bend in the road that we all started to feel a growing dread. We had passed the last empty campsite, and though we could now see the nurse's station lights up at the top of the hill, down at the bottom where we were, we felt as if the darkness had wrapped us in its arms, beckoning us off the road, where it would lead us into the meadow from earlier in the day. I don't like this, Jessica said. Somehow that meadow feels way creepier in the dark than it did in the morning. Do you think there's dangerous animals down there? Melissa whispered. The worst we'd run into is coyotes, and unless we have a small dog with us, they're not going to want to come near us. I tried to reassure them. We're almost there anyway. Yeah, but then we gotta go back. Jessica pointed out. Though I didn't admit it, she had a point. I wasn't looking forward to the return journey. 
We got Melissa to the nurse's station without further incident. When we explained the creepy feeling we got down by the meadow to the nurse, she gave us a funny look and asked, Why didn't you just use the shortcut? Because there's animals that bite in that grass. I don't want to get bitten, I explained. The nurse shrugged. Then once Melissa finished, she sent us back on our way. For a moment, as we faced the road back towards the meadow, we hesitated. Are you sure we should go this way? Melissa asked. Do you want to get bitten? Jessica countered. And that was it. We linked arms as though that would give us more protection against whatever was out there, and we headed down the path. It seemed to get darker a lot quicker heading down the hill towards the meadow, then walking away from it. With it, that foreboding feeling grew stronger, until we were moving so slowly we were inching forward. Something's not right, I finally whispered. Maybe we should turn around and take our chances with the other path. Melissa suggested. There was sheer terror in her voice. If something truly is out here with us, I pointed out, I'm not sure showing it our backs is the best idea. Well, if it's an animal, we should make noise to scare it away. Let's sing some camp songs. That'll scare it. Jessica said, and frankly, camp songs are terrible and would scare away any sane person. Why not an animal? So as we continued down the path, we began to sing, making as much noise as possible. As we drew closer to the bend where we would be closest to the meadow, it happened. Our flashlights, all three of them, somehow went out. Our singing was cut short as pure, primal terror caused us to suck in our breaths. We frantically began trying to turn the flashlights back on, wondering why they all shut off at the same time. Then Jessica said, What? What is that? My body froze. I didn't want to look, even as Melissa gasped indicating that she'd seen whatever it was Jessica had seen. Maybe if I didn't look, it wouldn't be real. Maybe I'd wake up back at camp and... I looked. The meadow lay stretched before us, and for the first time that night we could see it. A light slowly stretched from the east side of the field to the west, illuminating an unearthly fog until it encompassed the entire thing. Uh, aliens? I wondered incredulously. I'd specifically taken in every detail of that field that day, and I knew there were no lighting fixtures whatsoever that could pull that off. But even as we watched, a shadow appeared in the light, hovering. At first we thought it was a deer, a buck, actually. We could see its horns, but as it moved... It didn't quite move normally, not like a deer should. It seemed almost like it was gliding. Then, as we stared in complete horror, it stood up on two legs. Then, as if someone flipped off a light switch, the light was gone, and we were in total blackness. 
Melissa was sobbing. Did you see? Did you? Jessica's scream whispered. I was still staring. My brain was screaming at my body to run, but I couldn't just leave the girls here to deal with whatever that was on their own. Jessica shook me. Did you see? Yeah. I finally managed through a tight throat. I was terrified that we were drawing whatever it was towards us, and with our flashlights out, it was too dark to even see our deaths coming. We need to go, now. Do you think we should scare it off? Melissa sounded like she wanted us to tell her this thing behaved like a normal animal, but Jessica and I were certain we were past that point. No. We need to get back to camp as fast as possible, I hissed, pulling on Jessica's arm. But what if running makes it attack? Jessica asked. Then we speed walk. And that's what we did. We started speed walking. None of us bothered to try to get our lights back on. We just needed to get out. But even as we walked, that feeling that something was following us grew with every step, until finally, we stopped caring what it would do. We needed to get back to populated camps immediately. Without even talking it over, we broke into a run. I I'm not a fast runner, but as I ran, I kept imagining that thing at our heels. I imagined claws, teeth biting into the back of my neck, and though I was the one who was supposed to make sure Melissa got back safely, I ended up outrunning both of them, even as my lungs burned and I felt as if I was breathing in ash. Just before the first populated campground, we saw a shadow appear in the road in front of us. Melissa and Jessica began screaming, but I kept running at it. For one stupid moment, I was ready to fight whoever was in front of us, we were going to get back to camp or die trying, I decided. But as I got closer, I saw they had a flashlight. They were human. In fact, they were from our group. There you are, they said, looking at us as if we were crazy. We'd stopped in front of them, huffing and puffing. You took so long I was sent to go look for you. There's something in the meadow. I wheezed. Does your, does your flashlight work? They frowned at me and held up their obviously working flashlight. Uh, yeah? Good, good. Ours stopped. We need to get back now. They didn't argue, and as we headed back, Melissa, Jessica, and I each recounted what we'd seen. When we got back to camp, we told our counselors the same thing, yet they didn't believe us. It sounded crazy, it was crazy, and when we were told we had overactive imaginations, I stared at our counselor, dead in the eye, and said, all three of us have the exact same story. We were screaming as we ran back towards populated campgrounds. 
That doesn't sound like an overactive imagination to me. This didn't change their mind, of course. A few other campers believed us, but after that, we didn't dare go down that road at night. To this day, I'm not completely sure what it was. I know what I saw. I know it was real. There's no logical explanation for what happened. Though I do still go camping, I always make sure to warn those I'm with. We're not alone. There's something out there, and it's watching, waiting for its moment to strike. The Beast That Almost Took My Friend From One I'm Scared One This story took place about a year back. I was with my Boy Scout troop. We were headed to a remote area in Arizona to go camping. Our troop arrived early in the afternoon, so my friends, A and W, had plenty of time to set up camp. After we finished, we walked around and explored the campsite. While we walked around, W started being obnoxious. He started breaking branches off trees, kicking shrubs out of the ground, killing bugs for no reason, and basically anything he could do to wreck the area. A and I told him to stop, because we were worried that a leader would see us and punish us. Eventually, A and I got caught in a conversation and stopped hassling W. Little did we know what a mistake we were making. Night fell and we all went into our tents to go to bed. After talking about girls and video games, we all fell asleep. I was awakened a few hours later by W shaking me. What is it? I asked sluggishly. I heard some noises outside the tent, he told me. You see, W was freaked out by a lot of things, especially at night. I turned over to see that A was awake as well. He woke me up too, A told me. It's probably nothing, I told W. Just go back to sleep. Guys, he took on a serious tone. I'm really freaked out. I've been hearing it for hours. Fine, I muttered as I got out of my sleeping bag. We'll go out, see that it's nothing, and then go to sleep. All right, agreed W. I grabbed my flashlight and all three of us crawled outside the tent. I turned it on and started scanning the empty desert area behind our tent with it. See, nothing to be worried, but I cut myself off. Something caught my eye as I was scanning the desert. Two yellow eyes stared back at me about 50 feet away. They were less than a foot off the ground, and they were still as a statue, almost like a deer in headlights. I couldn't see the body, just two yellow eyes. I kept staring until the eyes darted away from my view. I let out a sigh of relief. See, said A to W. Nothing. Now let us sleep. We made our way back to the tent. As we walked back, I saw some motion out of the corner of my eye. I froze. What is it? Asked A and W almost simultaneously. What is it? 
I saw a figure in the small bit of light from a dying campfire nearby. Once again, I saw those yellow eyes. A and W traced my eyes to the campfire and saw them too. It's probably just a rabbit or something, said A, reassuring us. Can a rabbit travel 40 feet in a few seconds like that? Without a sound? Asked a terrified W. Guys, we're all so tired our minds are playing tricks on us. Let's just go back to bed. I finally yelled. I was surprised I didn't wake up the whole camp. I looked back at the dying fire. The figure wasn't even there anymore. See? I said. It's gone now, let's go. I started walking back, but my friends didn't follow. What's wrong? I asked them. They just stood there, seemingly frozen with fear. What's wrong? I asked a little louder, as I felt a wave of fear coming over me. Look, demanded A. I turned and saw, standing on the road in the light of the moon, the same figure, except now it appeared taller, but it still had those same yellow eyes. Suddenly, a shaky yet deep voice came from the darkness. Then it let out a horrifying scream that erupted across the night sky. Without even thinking, we all turned around and sprinted as fast as we could go. We ran and ran, but the thing pursued us wherever we would go. Finally, A yelled out to me in the darkness. It's a tiny little thing. I think we could take it. Yeah, agreed W, who had a new sense of confidence. Okay, I said, but it better work. Unfortunately, while we were talking, we nearly ran into the wall of a nearby bathroom. With nowhere to go, we took a defensive stance. We saw the thing arrive a split second later. The lights from the bathroom flickered out as it walked forward. I tried my flashlight, but it was all in vain. I spammed the button, but it no longer worked. There was just enough moonlight to see that the figure was outstretching its hand toward W. Why? Stammered W. You disgrace this land. You will be punished. I tried to reason with it, but it ignored me and began walking toward W. He screamed. Please don't take me. Tears streamed down his face. He pleaded more and more. A demanded the thing stopped, but it ignored his and my requests. Then I said, We'll leave. I promise. We'll never come back here. Finally, the creature stopped. It faced me. Ooh. 
I remember after that was waking up in our tent. My friends were waking up as well. I asked them about the night before, but they remembered nothing. I was confused. Because of everything that happened, I thought they would remember it. But still, to this day, I'm the only one that remembers. I don't know what we encountered, but I've kept my promise and never will go back. Cryptid Encounter at Scout Camp From Xavian And read by Carmen Carrion Just to start off, this whole story is a true story. It takes place at an Oregonian summer Boy Scout camp, the name of which I don't think I can reveal. It takes place from the perspective of a 14-year-old scout. The first encounter was had on one of my many solo hikes through the campgrounds, which took me off trail in the hunt of an abandoned part of the camp, a chapel that was rumored to have been abandoned the prior year. I had discovered a decrepit trail that was overgrown and looked more like a deer trail than anything else. But after maybe 20 to 30 feet, I found what looked like the rumored chapel, which was only a few worn benches, some trash, and a crumbling fire bowl. As any foolish scout, I ran into the chapel, meaning to find out what happened there, only to feel like I was being watched. In vain, I looked around in the grounds around me and saw nothing but the overgrown chapel. But even with this, I felt uneasy and began to leave, in case it was a counselor that I couldn't see. As I rushed out, I looked up to the trees for a final glance. There above me was a large, dark figure, one that looked to be about the size of a full-grown man, leaping through the trees without making anything more than a rustle that sounded like the wind. Upon seeing this, I rushed back to the main trail and found some of my fellow scouts, hoping that they could confirm what I had seen. I met up with my friend, who we will call A for now, who wanted to come along to see the chapel and did not believe that I had seen anything. We hiked into the chapel to see that one of the benches was newly broken, and there being no signs whatever had done it, not even the cryptid from before. Satisfied that all was well, we went to regroup with the boys of our troop so that we could go back to camp and get ready for lunch. The walk there was very uneventful, and we got ready in time. But before we could leave, we had to grab one of my troop mates, who was, for a merit badge, constructing a survival shack behind the camp. This was all fine until we heard something following us. We thought it was just a deer until it started charging through the brush towards our camp and we realized that it was on two legs, not on four. Everyone in the group ran back to warn the rest of the scouts there. They thought at first we were pulling a prank on them. At least until another scout, friend B, came rushing back saying someone was walking around his tent. Someone who he thought was us until he saw all of the boys of our troop were gathered by the campfire already. This sent shock through the scouts, causing many of them to arm themselves with sticks pocket knives, and rocks to defend against whomever it was in our campsite. We all stood there in fear of what it could be, some thinking it was a bear, others thought it was a man, at least until we looked up and saw it standing on top of a half-dead tree, leering down at us. This creature was, as I had said, about the size of a grown man, 
was covered in brown fur that looked to be short, like a deer or a short-haired dog. And on its head was what looked like the skull of a deer, loosely placed, almost like a helmet. Its arms were long and skinny, its legs were almost impossible to see, but it stood like it was going to kill us all, like it felt no fear at the herd of young boys that were before it. It didn't move for what felt like eternity. We began to think we were seeing things until an adult came back to the camp. And upon hearing this, the creature leaped off of its perch and sprung into the woods behind it with a grace that sent a shiver down my spine. None of us ever saw that thing again, and no one was to go anywhere without two friends and their knife, a rule that we still loosely hold to this day. I don't know what we saw that day, but I've heard a lot of stories, both from my family, who are versed in Native American culture, and this channel. There are things out here that go without an explanation, things that won't care who you are or how old you are. They just want to know what you taste like. This episode is sponsored by The Dead Files from Travel Channel. If you're listening to anything on the EerieCast network, odds are you love ghost stories. That's why I think you'll love The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Join hosts Amy Allen and Steve Deshavi as they investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the US. Each host offers a unique and exciting perspective for every case. Amy is a medium, seeing and speaking to those who are no longer in the world of the living. And Steve is a retired homicide detective who uses public records and witness testimony to piece together the history of the haunted location. Each episode of The Dead Files features a different, real haunting to possibly help the family struggling with its effects. One episode on Falconer, New York, deals with a family who keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They frequently witness a shadow figure lurking around their home. Amy and Steve receive their call and investigate, with Amy using her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry, while Steve separately researches the history of the home, only to discover several previous residents who lived at the home died, confirming Amy's own findings. After their investigation, Amy and Steve must conclude with whether the house is safe to remain in, or if it's time to get out. I really love the deferring perspectives and skill sets between the two hosts, and I think that's why The Dead Files is a must-listen podcast for any fan of the paranormal and supernatural. Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Warning. The following story contains graphic depictions of dead animals. What I experienced on the Colorado back road. From Make 33. This story took place a few months back. I was 17 at the time. During the Rona outbreak, I was very limited to where I could and could not go. Although there were strict rules set in place by my parents, I seldom acknowledged what they asked of me to begin with. Looking back, I realized how irresponsible I was, and I chalk it up to my immaturity. Since I've turned 18, I've made the best effort to put my childlike tendencies behind me and start behaving like a mature young adult. 
Regardless, this story took place a while before I turned 18. Though the incident happened a few months back, it continues to replay in my head and appears as fresh as ever to this day. I don't think I'll ever completely know what happened that night. Beginning my story, it was around one in the morning. Just like the rest of the states, Colorado was dealing with Rona, and no one was really allowed to mingle with others at this point in time. Regardless, I really didn't have anyone to mingle with. I was homeschooled, after all, living in an isolated spot. I wouldn't have it any other way, either. I enjoy spending time alone, contemplating life and its meaning. I have a close group of friends I've remained in contact with throughout Rona, and those are the friends that have been with me for a long time. I consider them family. I missed the amount of time we'd spend together, as a group and individually. I especially recall our love of hiking and exploration. The sense that there is stuff out there, good and bad. We all felt like it was our job to find it, record it, and remember it. At one point in life, the memories you keep will once again remind you of the golden days of your life. We figured it might be best to get as many memories and experiences as possible. But I never anticipated something as bizarre as this to happen. Additionally, although my friends weren't with me because of the lockdowns, I've made sure they were fully aware of every specific detail as to what happened. I was extremely bored during these times and resorted to taking my mind off of boredom by going for drives. I would usually spend two to three hours a day driving around aimlessly, exploring back roads and stopping every so often on trails to hike. Eventually, I discovered the exhilaration of sneaking out at night to go for a drive. I realized night drives, while being the perfect way to relax and think about life, also had the potential adrenaline rush to them. The idea of sneaking out without your parents finding out, I guess. Until this one night drive. I never realized how incredibly dangerous they could be. I would sometimes see deer jump into the road and that would scare me crapless. The way they could take anyone by surprise is crazy. The way your heart beats when it comes out of nowhere. The imminent feeling of uncertainty to what it actually is before you completely analyze it, and the dread that follows. It makes you go ten times slower in fear that you'll accidentally hit a deer and total your car. It was no issue to me, though. My car was pretty old and given to me by my parents. I didn't think much of it then, but that car was on its last legs. Since then, I've bought a new car to avoid the same problem that occurred that night. Sometime after my parents had gone to bed, I got up. I left through the back door and got into my car. Tonight was like any other night. Completely normal. Nothing could have prepared me for what I was about to experience. I got onto a recently discovered back road I found a few days back. It took me about 30 minutes to get there and I made sure to fill up my gas tank so I would have no difficulty getting back home without a problem. I eventually came to a long stretch of road that was densely forested on either side of the road. I felt so at peace, knowing that no other cars usually traveled this way due to the lack of any evident road maintenance. 
No houses or trails were on this couple-mile stretch, which was just fine. Being one with the silent night, the sound of crickets with the fresh air coming from my open window, and no light apart from the beans of my car, it was all very peaceful. I was cruising at a 30-mile-an-hour pace to avoid any big bumps in the roads. A few minutes into keeping this pace, I glanced off to the left side of the road, and I saw a faint outline of some sort of figure. I brushed it off as being some animal and drove to about 40 miles an hour. I didn't feel quite right, though. Something kept bothering me, and I realized how far set its eyes had been off the ground. They had reflected my headlight beams at an almost impossible height to be the eyes of any animal I knew of. My stomach was in a knot, and out of curiosity, I looked in the rearview mirror. Whatever it was had walked onto the road. I saw the faint outline of the figure, but I wasn't completely sure if it was four-legged or two. And that's when I heard it, the most unnatural sound I've ever heard in my life. The purest form of dread washed over me as I put two and two together. I connected the uncanny sound with the creature that had just made its way onto the road. The sound this creature made was a shriek. It made it multiple times, and it was impossibly loud. My best attempt to describe it would be to compare it to the sound that metal makes when scraping against metal, except a thousand times more chilling. It was as if it wanted my attention. My heart began to pound. I slowed the car down to a halt. It stood there yards behind me, eyes reflecting the moon. As scared as I was, I became even more desperate in finding out what this thing was. It stood in the same position, eyes not moving. I sat there for a moment, waiting. It suddenly made the same shrieking noise, except even more aggressively this time. That's when I drove off. I redlined the car, and as I did, I dreaded the idea of my car breaking down. Thankfully, it didn't. However, as I began to drive off, whatever it was appeared to head back into the forest. After a few minutes of driving, I was intent on making it back to civilization. From what I remembered, I think I had another eight miles to go, give or take, before getting onto a main road. I was driving at 50 miles an hour now, and paid no attention to any bumps in the road. My sole focus was getting the heck out of Dodge. After a few minutes of driving, I heard the shriek again. Distant, but it sent a shiver down my spine nonetheless. I kept driving, and I began to approach something on the road. Whatever it was, it was in a heap. Then I saw it was a deer. At first, I thought it was dead but then I realized it was twitching as I slowed down to avoid running it over. It was in the middle of the road, so I had to drive to the side. As my car approached it, I saw that its ribcage had been torn open and spread apart. 
its innards spilled about on the road. This wasn't roadkill. Something had mauled it. As I drove onto the shoulder, I got caught in a ditch. For a split second, I thought I was screwed. Thankfully, my tires caught onto the pavement once again, and I was in the clear. Just a moment after getting past that deer, something ran onto the road. I'm not sure what it was, but I knew it was two-legged, based on the way it ran. I wasn't yet far enough away to be unable to distinguish how this creature looked. I got a glimpse of it in my mirror. It was a very tall, lanky figure. I saw its eyes wide open, yet there appeared to be no mouth. It shrieked once again. That's when its mouth opened. A hole of darkness emerged so big, I was stunned. It cocked its head back and went into a seizure-like motion. That's when I lost sight of it, unsure of what to even think at that moment. I made it back home around six in the morning. I drove a bit more among the common roads, just contemplating life and about what the heck I'd experienced. I drove there a day later during noon with my dad, not saying a word about the whole incident. I asked if he wanted to go for a drive and discuss family matters with me. I used that as an excuse to have company while I went to drive by the road where I saw the deer. We passed it, or at least what was left of it. The head was gone. The neck was ripped apart as we passed it, and I felt even more disturbed. My dad appeared to be seriously concerned, but chalked it up to some wild animal. I never told him or anyone else about what I saw that night. The day I drove that road with my dad at noon was the last time I went on it since. I've since then cut back on the driving I do during the day, and I've never gone out at night again. Thinking about what happened gives me goosebumps, and makes me tear up. Sometimes I question my own sanity, but that deer symbolizes the truth behind what the heck happened that night, and serves as a dreadful reminder of the reality of the situation, and of what could have happened to me if my car remained in that ditch, or had broken down. I count myself lucky, and I've started to realize that sometimes the bad overtakes the good. I don't want to be around when that happens, so I've taken every precaution since then to keep myself safe. I think we saw a skinwalker from Mrs. Ponchy John. I'm 24 years old and a big believer in monsters. I'm part Cherokee, Choctaw, Shawnee, and Chickasaw. My grandma always taught us about skinwalkers, shapeshifters, and wendigos. So last year I was on a trip to Denver, Colorado with my friends Joe, who's part Washoe and Lakota, and Frankie, who's part Cheyenne and Seminole, along with my dogs Lou, a redbone coonhound, and Mr. Bluebody, a blue tick coonhound. We finally get to Colorado after hours of driving. We're driving down a dirt road when my dogs needed to use the bathroom. Hey Joe, pull over. Why? Lou and Mr. Bluebody have to water the lily. 
Joe pulled over and we all got out. While my dogs are using the bathroom, I feel as if we're being watched. Then my dogs start growling. We all look towards where my dogs are growling and we see this pony looking at us. Yes, a pony. Now to a random person, it would appear to be a regular pony. And at first, that's what it looked like until we saw that its legs were too long for a pony. I heard Frankie ask, Polna, do you see that? Yeah, I see it. I told my dogs to come, and we all got back in the car. As soon as I looked outside my window, I screamed. Standing in the spot where the pony had been was a tall, dark figure. We all said in unison, Skinwalker. We all begin to pray while my dogs huddled together. After the prayer, what we heard next scared us so much. It mimicked my grandma's voice. We heard, Don't be scared. It's all right. Joe sped down the road faster than I ever saw him drive before. We decided to just go home but we took a different highway out of Colorado. We haven't spoken of it since. I decided to share this story, and I'm thankful my grandma taught me about monsters. Stay safe, and God bless. Frozen in Fear from Sandy I live in New Mexico near the Colorado border close to the San Juan Mountains, which is a part of the Rockies. I used to camp every year until seven years ago in a place called Williams Creek, Pagosa Springs, Colorado. It's a beautiful area with mountains, a lake, some waterfalls, hiking trails, and an old country store. I was recently divorced and wanted to get away from everything and everyone for a few days. So I packed my hiking gear, camping supplies, and a sidearm, which I always take with me as I'm a small female, and there are a lot of big animals in that area. Pagosa Springs is a small mountainous town with their claim to fame being the deepest hot springs in the world, and resorts that welcome locals, skiers, mountain bikers, vacationers, and anyone that likes the outdoors. It truly is an outdoorsy person's paradise. They host several events throughout the year. That includes car shows, hot air ballooning, and music festivals. The camping and hunting in the area is second to none. But then again, I'm a bit biased, having lived in this area since I was 14. I made sure to go in July, as the area is a bit warmer, and most of the snow is gone in the areas I like to hike to. I've hiked this area many times and have been to a lot of the trails that lead to fields of the most beautiful wildflowers you will ever lay eyes on. In the fall, the aspen trees splash the mountains with colors of gold, orange, and red in anticipation of the long, cold winters that Colorado is infamous for. It was truly my most favorite place to go and just chill out away from people to just soak in the serenity. Williams Creek is both amazing and gorgeous, but anxiety-invoking 
if you do not like seclusion. The campground is almost always full, but the trails can be very desolate, especially the one that caused me to be here writing this story. I made camp and settled into my tent for the night. I had checked the weather several times before leaving Pagosa Springs proper. Cell service in Williams Creek can be spotty at best. I was planning on waking at 0400 and heading out to the top of Williams Creek, past the lake and onto Williams Creek Trail, which is about 15 miles long and takes a good part of the day to hike, if not two days, as weather often moves in very fast and traps hikers that have to seek shelter away from flash hailstorms, lightning, and local monsoons. Well, I ended up oversleeping and got a late start. Very late. I grabbed my gear in such a hurry that I forgot my camera and my phone, which sucked, because I was planning on taking a lot of pictures that day of the hike and scenery. It took me about 20 minutes to drive to the trailhead, and sign in on a sheet provided by the forestry service. This helps locate hikers should they become missing. It has a place for your name and destination, as well as days anticipated for your hike and the time you got started. I signed in at 8.17 and started down the trail, across the field towards the tree line. The hike is treacherous, even for the most seasoned hiker. The trail starts out innocently enough, but quickly turns into an almost vertical trail, with switchbacks and a lot of debris from horses and weather. A lot of folks take rented horses on the trail. I was excited to be out in nature, and needed to relax, unwind. It took me about four hours to get to the bottom where there's two clearings separated by a thin group of pine trees and scrub oak. There's a small stream that runs through the trees that has some amazing fishing. As I made my way to the group of trees, I took note of a few clouds moving in and the wind picking up. I spent about two hours fishing, untangling my line, sorting through flies, and cleaning my catch. I made lunch right by the stream, and that's when I noticed I'd forgotten my camera and phone. A little disappointed in myself, I cleaned my supplies, packed up, and grabbed my pack, giving one last glance at the area, taking mental pictures for my journal. Then I left the serenity behind. One glance at my watch told me I better start heading back. As I made my way to the group of trees, I felt the first drop of rain hit my face. In seconds, it was a downpour of rain and hail. I grabbed my rain jacket and found shelter under a group of scrub oak. I sat in my shelter waiting for a small break in the rain, just enough so that I would not be pounded with hail and get soaked to the bone. But my wait was in vain. About 45 minutes into the storm, I had a sudden urge to get the heck out of there. Looking back, there was not one particular event that caused the feeling. I just felt the need to go. I grabbed my pack, zipped my jacket all the way up, and headed out of the trees into the valley. About halfway across the field, I felt horribly exposed, but I was happy to see the rain subsiding.
I stopped to admire the view and check my watch again. Realizing it would be dark by the time I got back to my truck, I decided to pick up the pace. I reached for my pack and straight away noticed it was dead silent. No dripping rain, no animals, no crickets. Dead silent. Throwing the pack over one shoulder, I picked up the pace and had just about made it to the bottom of the ascending part of the trail, when movement out of the corner of my eye caused me to stop. Coming towards me at full speed was a mountain lion. I froze. I wanted to run, but I knew better. In my hunting classes, they had told us to stand your ground and make as much noise as possible. I couldn't think. I couldn't run. All I could do was stand there and wait for my bloody end. The cat came within about 40 yards from me before veering off to the right and heading towards the fence line that stretches across the base of the mountain. As the cat disappeared, I turned to resume my pace and stopped dead in my tracks again. I was thinking, what could have caused that cat to run like that? And it's a question I wished to this day I had never asked. As if on cue and reading my thoughts, just outside the tree line of the very group of trees I'd taken shelter under, was a creature that was about seven to seven and a half feet tall. It had the body of a man, the legs of a deer, and the face was a mess of teeth, hair, and grotesque wrinkled skin, the color of a rotting corpse. I froze where I stood. My feet felt as if they had been cemented to the earth, and I could not form one rational thought. I forgot I had a gun, but I couldn't even lift my arm to check the time. Several minutes had to pass because my next memory was the cat standing in the tree line, safely on the other side. It let out a scream that sounded like an animal being murdered. I snapped out of my trance and realized it was time to make haste. I dropped my pack and ran as fast as I could to clear the rest of that field. At the bottom of the mountain, there's a fence you must climb over to get to the trail. I jumped over the fence and kept on running, never looking back because I was so scared that thing would be right behind me. I was crying and screaming for help. About halfway up the mountain and at dusk, I ran into four guys on horses that had just turned back to start toward their trucks. I told them that I'd gotten caught in the storm and had lost my pack. I didn't mention what I saw. I didn't want them to think I was crazy. Two of the men headed down the mountain, while the other two put me on a horse and took me to my truck. I wanted to tell them so badly what I'd seen, but I was scared that somehow my mind had made it up and it didn't really happen. A couple of hours later, I was safe in my truck, and that's where I slept that night. As soon as dawn broke, I tore camp down, packed up, and met the guys at the little country store to retrieve my pack. As I thanked the men for going to get my pack, they stated that they nearly didn't make it there, because they kept hearing howling and noises in the bushes all the way down the mountain. Their horses had refused to go any further, and if they hadn't found my pack when they did, I would have lost it forever. 
I thanked them and got in my truck. As I was backing out of the dirt lot, one of the men approached the window and made a gesture to roll it down. I did as he asked. He told me that they'd seen some strange things on their ride to get my pack, and told me to never hike the area alone. I asked him what they saw. He just shook his head and reiterated for me to never hike that trail alone. I miss that area, but what I saw that evening will haunt my dreams for the rest of my life. What in the world was that thing? What stopped it from pursuing me? How did the time lapse happen in that short amount of time? Did that cat protect me? How could I have gone there all those other times before and never seen it? And how am I still alive? Don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful, but I'd still like to know what I saw that night. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.